fighting for freedom every day. Republicans right now, the conservatives, which unfortunately, this is what we have to do every time, even after a vote where people are sick and tired of the establishment, they're sick and tired of the squeezy, middle-of-the-road, squishy kind of Republican rhinos, and we vote conservatives in, then we have to fight tooth and nail in D.C. to actually be heard within the Republican Party. This is the Voice of Reason with Andy Hoosier. Hey, John Wright and us. Welcome into the program. We are ready, baby, for a pre-Friday celebration. Holy cow, do we have a lot to get to today. It is another day in paradise. We're going to carpe diem all over this place, as we do every single day. So welcome into it. Let's get this ball rolling. Broadcasting live out of the heart of the nation here in Wichita, Kansas, on our flagship radio station. We are all over the country, radio, TV, live streaming, and podcasting. However you watch or listen to the show, we love you to death. Appreciate you very, very much. Your Millennial General reporting for duty like we do every single day. Before we get into... Our first guest of the day, we have two of them today. Before we do those, though, we have some breaking news that, if you have not heard, is happening relatively quickly as of, when was this? Three o'clock Eastern time, so just an hour or so ago, a couple hours ago, we have an arrest of an individual, an Air National Guardsman, who apparently is the supposed leaker of the classified documents that were leaked that's causing all the havoc, international tensions across the board, letting us know that we actually have some special forces over in the Ukraine, some of the military plans for the Ukraine, the fact that we're hacking into the Russian computer systems and their surveillance systems as well, the fact that we know that what China's doing, the fact that Joe Biden knew about the whole in, uh, intervention in Mar-a-Lago with the FBI raids and Donald Trump, uh, the fact that it's causing a whole bunch of issues exposing the establishment and the elites in Washington, D.C. for the corruption and the stuff they're doing behind the scenes, and they're calling it national security, uh, the individual has been arrested. That was pretty quick. Pretty quick on the draw. That was how many days now? Three? Three days? Is that it? That All of a sudden, boom, maybe we have it as the Massachusetts Airmen, Air National Guardsman, and I'm going to botch his name. I know it. Jack Tierra. Is that how they're pronouncing it? It looks like uh, TX Sierra but I believe it's Tierra in the pro for the classified document leaks. We'll have more information on that here in just a little bit as uh, I want to get to our first guest here right away. Bottom of the hour, we have Sally Pipes. Uh, we got her. We were going to have her last week. got it rescheduled for today. She's going to talk about some of the committee hearings in Washington, D.C. and the Senate committees talking about big pharma and the price of the COVID-19 vaccine, who's actually profiting from these, and why Bernie Sanders is actually going after the big pharmaceutical industries regarding the COVID-19 vaccine, especially now that the emergency declarations are over and they can't be forcing it on us any longer as well. But before we do that, we sat down just earlier today with our very own senator from where I hail from here in the state of Kansas, U.S. Senator Roger Marshall, to talk about the ending of the declaration of COVID-19 and that emergency stance and where we're at today, what that means moving forward for social programs, for the economy, for manufacturing, for the supply chains, and a heck of a lot more. This is U.S. Senator Roger Marshall from the great state of Kansas right here on The Voice of Reason. Andy, I'm doing great. It's great to be with you. Thanks for giving us a platform to talk about the use that you and I were raised on. So I'm excited to have this conversation. Yeah, it's always good to chat with you. And thank you again for everything you're doing in D.C. because it's making the headlines. We're seeing the change. We're seeing the difference. And it's good news. For example, we just saw a couple of days ago the signing, which I'm sure the other side's losing their minds over this, but the ending of the COVID-19 declaration of emergency. It's over, Senator. We don't have to worry about COVID anymore. <laughs> Hallelujah. Let's take the mask <laughs> off and let's get back to life. Let's get back to work. 
But I, I, this is the third time this has passed the Senate. So this is legislation that, that we wrote. Um, this, this is the third time is the charm. We've got, we passed it through the Senate. Now that we're in control of the House, they passed it. The president signed, signed it. And what this means to your listeners, they need to understand, is that Joe Biden has used this COVID emergency as an excuse to pay families $60,000, $80,000 a year to not work. That that was his excuse for extending unemployment pay, to extend uh, food stamps and, and free health care and paying for your, your rent and paying your heating bill and paying your school loans. So that's, that's been his excuse. I hope that ending this will help get back to work those 7 million healthy young American men between the ages of 25 and 45. We hope ending this emergency, stopping all that extra aid, will get them back to work. Yeah, well, and that was going to be the question is, what's next now with some of the social programs? We hear some of the news that now you actually have to have the work requirements again to qualify for certain social programs, which the media is having a heyday about how all these people are going to be left in the streets and they're going to die and how we don't have any assistance and and, uh, and help for them any longer. But does this also impact, do you think, the uh, the court case on the student loan forgiveness and some of the other programs they've been pushing? Well, that's always a great question. This president, this White House, has ignored the Constitution. So all along, his forgiving student loans is unconstitutional. He does not have the power as a purse. And remember, he's not forgiving them. He's just really passing on that to other taxpayers. So I expect him to keep pushing all sorts of envelopes. He has unlimited legal resources. So I expect him to keep doing that. But, but the number one issue I hear around the state of Kansas, I would say, is inflation. But number two is a lack of people for the jobs that we have. So, again, I keep talking about these 7 million healthy American men that aren't working, young American men, getting them back to work. We have low unemployment rate, but our participation rate is still horrible. I hope ending this emergency will get people back to work. You talk about supply chain disruptions, it just, and it just fuels inflation with all these people uh, you know, instead of giving to society and being productive, they're actually a drag on society. On society again, there's people that need some help. I want to help those that need that truly, truly need it. But I, I really think there's a lot said to having a good job. It brings satisfaction, dignity to you and your family. So let's get America back to work. Getting America back to work and getting back to somewhat normal, at least the pre-COVID nineteen normal, is what I think a lot of people would like to get to. With that being said, and with the ending of the declaration as well. What does that also do for some of the unspent COVID-19 relief funding that did come out of the federal government that we haven't spent yet? Does that actually get to go back to, I don't know, pay off some of the debts with the debt ceiling that's looming right now? Or is that still going to be going out in certain fashions? Oh, I'm sure it'll keep going out in certain fashions, uh, Andy. We'll do what we can to slow that down. But but again, I'm trying to redirect that into things that make sense, things that make, let's make it, if we're, if we're going to spend that money, what type of economic investment would, would that look like? Is it some type of technology hubs, chip hubs in, in Kansas? What can we do to use it to grow the economy, to build out infrastructure, to build out high-speed internet, to make sure that, that we have good hospitals, roads, and bridges? Although, if we're going to spend the money, let's invest it on long-term investments, not throwing it away on, on, gov- on the typical government program. So we'll try to slow it down. Um, but but it'll be a challenge. Yeah, amen to that. Uh, you've been doing your tour through the state of Kansas right now, talking to a lot of different manufacturers and uh, supply chain uh, companies as well. 
Are we almost back to normal? I know that for you know the last year or so, we've had some major supply chain issues. We weren't allowing things to be docked out of uh, California and coming in from the coasts, but uh, we've had a lot of high prices, obviously with the inflation and the bad economy, but the supply chain and the manufacturing, are things almost back to normal now that we're done with COVID? That's a good question, Andy. I, I think that in some fields it's yes and in some fields it's no, but all across the board it's expensive. Um, and just depending where the product's coming from, how how uh, how shortage the supplies are, uh, so, so it's a mixed bag. Uh, you know, the, one of the biggest problems still is just transportation that we don't have enough truck drivers, we don't have enough people to work on, on the railroads, uh, those types of things. Uh, building infrastructure to be exporting natural gas to to Japan and, and to uh, India and other countries as well. We've got a lot of work to do on that, so it's a mixed bag. But still, this overriding problem is the cost of getting it done. Yeah, uh, that is a big issue, especially on the agricultural front right now. I mean, obviously, with the tension still between uh, Russia and the Ukraine's caused a global issue. I know you've talked about it quite a bit on the agricultural side here in the Mid-America region, Kansas, Oklahoma, and Texas, and Nebraska, all these agricultural states. I mean, the price of things for farmers is outlandish right now, especially when it comes to energy costs. And I'm sure that's dipping into the pockets all the way to the consumer's end with the final product. Right. So this war on American agriculture by, by Joe Biden has cost increased fuel. Those tractors and those combines uh, don't, don't run on, on water. They, they take fuel, <laughs> believe it or not. Fertilizer, then what we grow these crops with, is made from natural gas for the most part. And some of the other products were shipped through the Black Sea. And with the Ukraine war going on, a lot of those products have been uh, sh- short supply, again, driving up the cost. So I would say that today... Farmers can get the supplies that they need, but they're just very, very expensive, and that's driving up the cost of groceries. That's why it's important to every one of your listeners. It's driving up the cost of groceries across the world. Yeah, amen to that. We're talking with U.S. Senator Roger Marshall from right here in the great state of Kansas. Uh, Real quickly on that topic, before we move on here, the price of gas right now. We're sitting... Uh, what, $3.20 here in Kansas? I just made a quick trip uh, east to Illinois and Ohio. I saw $3.90 for gas in the state of Illinois right now, which is crazy. On the slow time of the year, before we even get into the summer travels and vacations and Memorial Weekend and everything of the sort, we're not drilling. We see the cutting of uh, production of oil from OPEC and others as well. Can we get gas prices under control here relatively soon, do you think, or is this going to be the long haul? Well, Andy, you're assuming this president wants to get gas prices <laughs> under control, but he does not. I mean, really, it is so hard for us to wrap our minds around. He wants an open border. He doesn't want to fix that. He wants high gas prices because there's no way electric cars can compete unless gasoline's above $5 a gallon. Um, again, I was born and raised in this oil patch. It's a big part of my hometown of, of Great Bend. And people that drill oil for a living, let's say they have four oil rigs. They only have enough labor for two people. And then the other problem is that they want they, they, they borrow money to go drill a new well, and they have the, the banks are using ESG scores being forced to them by Joe Biden to not do the drilling. So um, I don't see these prices uh, coming down at this point in time. And then let's not forget to think uh, about talk about what Saudi Arabia did recently. You know, they stuck it in the president's ear as well and thumbed their nose at him and, and told him to go home, that they're decreasing production because they want to keep that price of a barrel of oil over $70, $80 a barrel. That's their goal. So they're going to control the supply by doing that. Meanwhile, Joe Biden strangling American producers and keeping us from doing uh, what, what we've been doing for generations in Kansas. 
It's a mess all around the block, and it's going to be hurting us for a little bit until we can get this under control. Let's shift gears a little bit uh, to uh, one of the other topics I know you've been talking about, obviously on on the trail, talking to communities all over, is the fentanyl issue, which is still ongoing. Yeah. We see the state of Kansas, other nations or other states addressing this big time. Uh, but where are we, and can we get a hold on the fentanyl crisis as well? Well, Andy, again, we know that the fentanyl crisis uh, for America starts at our open southern border. Ninety percent of the precursors for fentanyl are made in China, welcomed with open arms into Mexico. Then the cartel turns it into deadly fentanyl. Uh, so until the president is willing to secure the border, this problem is going to be here for us. In the meantime, I'm trying to do what I can uh, for, for places like here in Kansas. Um, in the next several weeks, we're going to have a hearing on the Cooper Davis bill. Uh, this is named for a young man who lost his life. He was going to be a junior in high school two years ago. He and his friends ordered two Percocet tablets on Snapchat. They took a half a tablet, and Cooper died. Wow. That, the, that the Percocet had been laced with fentanyl, unbeknownst to them, every day in Kansas we're losing a person, typically young adults, to fentanyl poisoning. We're using Narcan 10 to 12, 15 times a day in the state of Kansas as well. Um, so it continues to be a challenge. I'm doing what I can do. This legislation would force companies like Snapchat, social media, to work in actively work, proactively work with law enforcement. They can see with artificial intelligence, with machine learning, what's going on uh, to, to alert those officials to this problem. There it is. That's U.S. Senator Roger Marshall from the state of Kansas. We sat down with him earlier today to talk about some of those issues and more. Like usual, if you want to hear the rest of the interview, as it was a bit longer than that. We'll upload that as an additional special feature podcast where you can listen to it in its entirety. Now he does talk a little bit more about some Kansas-specific stuff, but still interesting nonetheless for those that want to listen to that. All right, we'll take a break. we got a lot more to get to here for a pre-Friday on The Voice of Reason. Stay here. It's The Voice of Reason with Andy Hoosier. Fighting for freedom every day. This is the Voice of Reason with Andy Hoosier. Darn right it is. Welcome back into the program. Thanks for hanging out with us today on a pre-Friday celebration. Always a pleasure to have U.S. Senator Roger Marshall on the program. Great personal friend, obviously, since we come from Kansas here. My U.S. Senator, the good one, the one that actually comes on the program and likes to chat with me. <laughs> if you know what I mean. Bottom of the hour, in just a few minutes, we have Sally Pipes on the program. She's going to chat about the big pharmaceutical industries, the COVID-19 vaccine. Now that the declaration, the emergency declaration on COVID is over, which I'm honestly surprised Joe Biden signed, now you actually have to use usual work requirements in order to qualify for social programs. What? No way! Oh my gosh! That's pretty crazy. The other side, not too happy about that because, you know, people are going to lose their health coverage. And then, you know what happens when the government's not involved, just taking care of you and while we'll just lose our health coverage is... We're all going to die because of you! <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, we'll talk about that coming up in just a little bit. Again, Sally Pipes at the bottom of the hour. But the big news right now, of course, is... What's trending today? Yeah, it did not take him long to find this guy. For those that have not heard, this is a special report coming off of what site is this? This is from CBS News. Helicopter video showed heavily armed officers arresting the 21-year-old airman at a Massachusetts home after they confronted him in a driveway. Attorney General Merrick Garland. The Justice Department arrested Jack Douglas Teixeira in connection with an investigation into alleged unauthorized removal 
retention, and transmission of classified national defense information. Jack DeShera, the guy who leaked the intel, the military intel documents out of the federal government, the Massachusetts Air National Guardsman Jack DeShera in the probe for the classified documents leaks, according to Fox News, with their headline. Took them two, what, two, three days? Three days, they found a guy. Now, I want to remind you that this is a guy who apparently was concerned about the ongoing conflict in Russia, where we did not feel that we needed to be involved in the Ukraine and Russia, where we apparently have special forces over there, which did you know about that? I didn't know about that. Did anybody else know about that, Uh, that we have some over there? Uh, The U.K. has the most amount, which I'm pretty sure, according to the laws of NATO, that they're all part of, that Ukraine wants to be part of, that Russia did not want them to be I'm pretty sure that it was illegal to actually have uh, physical soldiers over there fighting amongst the Ukrainians helping fight back the Russian troops. So that's what's causing a lot of the tension right now. And after all of this, it took them three days to find the guy who actually leaked the intel. And I want to remind you that that comes at a time where we still have not been able to validate whether the Hunter Biden laptop is legitimate or not after how many years that they've had at in there. Possession were apparently not able to run a vastly secure election with people that are still on voter rolls that are not supposed to be, maybe have moved across the country or are deceased or something has happened to them in some way, shape, or form. We can't get those systems cleaned up. We're not able to even keep radical terrorists off of social media sites, as you know, that they're there on a regular basis trying to recruit individuals to become radicalized all over the world we can't even block them or even know where they're at but it took them three days to find this guy jack deshera out of massachusetts with the air national guardsman to find him and arrest him because of leaking certain information uh out of washington dc that the biden administration's not very happy about marjorie taylor green congresswoman uh sent out a tweet just a little bit ago, that said Jack DeShera is a white male Christian and anti-war individual. That makes him an enemy to the Biden regime. And he told the truth about troops being on the ground in Ukraine and a lot more. Ask yourself, who is the real enemy? A young, low-level National Guardsman or the administration that is waging war in Ukraine, a non-NATO nation against nuclear Russia without war powers? Now, I don't know how low-level he is if he had access to some high-intense uh, security measures and top classified information. But the point is, do you agree? Was this a, hey, you're making us look bad. We need to find you right away. Or is he truly putting American sovereignty and defense and security in jeopardy based on leaking these documents? Interesting conversation. Sally Pipes right on the corner when we come back here on The Voice of Reason. Stay this here. is The Voice of Reason with Andy Hoosier. When Reason Meets Radio, this is The Voice of Reason with Andy Hoosier. Cal, moving right along through the day. That's the way we roll right here on the program. Thanks for hanging out with us today for the pre-Friday celebration. Trying to cram that 10 pounds of reason into that 5-pound bag. Trying to rebrand the millennial generation. One radio listener at a time. Multiple radio stations all over the place. All over the country. More coming on as well. So we thank you for that. Plus our live streams, podcasts, TV podcasting however you watch or listen we always love you to death and appreciate you so we'll get back to this fbi arrest momentarily 
in a little bit. But, man, there's a quick turnaround. They found the guy pretty quickly. Now the question is, what he did, was it right? Was it legitimate? The fact that the government's angry about it, is it because of the fact that, well, he's exposing some of the super-duper secrets from the federal government, or is he really putting American security in harm's way due to leaking those classified documents? That always seems to be the conversation. We had the same one back in the day when Edward Snowden would leak and drop these kinds of things as well. We'll do that a little bit later on the program. But as you know, we talked to U.S. Senator Roger Marshall at the top of the show uh, regarding the ending of the COVID-19 emergency in the country, which means, uh, (laughs) I know, which means, that means that uh, some of the social programs are going to go away, which also means, We're all going to die because of you! (laughs) That's really what the media and the Democrats feel. But as we move through this, now the big question is, how do we move forward in case something like this happens? Again, there's been some hearings in Washington, D.C. regarding the pharmaceutical industries, obviously. And have you seen the amount of money that they've been making on these vaccines? But they're free. (laughs) Yeah, and if you believe that, then you have another thing coming for you as well. Because they're not free. The government's been paying them for you so you can get it free. All thanks to the wonderful federal government. The question is, how much are they? And how much money are they making? And now we have hearings about trying to cap the price of the vaccines and other pharmaceutical pills as well. I remember uh, Joe Biden coming out and saying, well, we need to cap insulin at like 30 bucks and we need to cap it to where they can never raise it again, which was already done in the prior administration. That's right. Donald Trump did that. That's right. But it wasn't good enough. So we had to reverse it and then we had to do it again in our own special way. To talk about some of this and more and what's going on in Washington, D.C. Really happy to have on the program. Uh, she is with the Pacific Research Institute. Following all this and more, Miss Sally Pipes on the line with us here. Sally, how are you today? I'm well, thank you. How are you? I am living the dream and I appreciate you so much coming on the program. It's a fascinating conversation of how much are the pharmaceutical companies really charging for the vaccine, especially the COVID-19 vaccines that we've been uh, forced on us over the last few years. How much have they really made from this? Because I've been hearing reports of record billions of dollars of profits from this pharmaceutical industries when uh, we're being pitched that, hey, this is totally free. You don't have to worry about a thing on these things, right? Well, probably wrong. <laughs> um, you know, I mean, the, the thing the thing that you have to, to think about is, you know, the number of drugs that go into the number of companies that try to that go into trial to do to get drugs approved by the FDA and it's very very few in fact you know it costs 2.8 billion dollars um, to bring a drug from an idea to the market and it you know 90% of the drugs fail and so you know we're looking at um, the your your opportunity to to make a return on your investment is is very low. And if you look at a company like Moderna, where, you know, the Senate help, uh, Bernie Sanders chair of the Senate Health Committee held the hearing on March 22nd into the price of Moderna's drugs. I mean, you have to look that in 2011, Moderna started their investigation into and research into the mRNA idea. By 2016, they'd had 11 drug candidates and more, and more than 90 preclinical trials. Not one of them made it until 2020. Uh, when when the FDA approved the Moderna vaccine. So there's a lot of risk in this business. Very few drugs get through. And you have to look at what is the return on investment? How long does the patent last? And and then it goes, it, the drug or vaccine or whatever goes generic. And of course, it is, it is much cheaper. But companies have to, A, take the risk, and B, 
they have to make a return on investment. That's what Amer- makes America great. We're yeah. a country of innovators. Yeah, no, that is very true. Uh, now, correct me if I'm wrong. I don't know because I haven't heard about it in a while. Is the the actual from Moderna, from Pfizer, some of these that use the mRNA technology for their COVID vaccine, are they still in the quote-unquote trial period, or have they actually been approved by the FDA to be considered a, a legitimate vaccine? Because I, last I heard, I thought they were still in the quote-unquote trial period and never actually got approved. Well, the original drugs were approved within okay. within 42 days. They were first – they were um, – approved for like authorization pre but they were actually they were actually approved and now we're seeing uh, a company like Moderna has got some really interesting cancer vaccines and cancer drugs um, on the docket which you know for those of us who you know worry about getting cancer and have had relatives and friends die from cancer we really need the new therapeutics which are being developed here in this country you know none of these new therapeutics car key therapies um, these vaccines even are developed in countries that have price control. I'm from Canada. I mean, my uncle died from non-Hodgkin's lymphoma because rituxan, which is the new drug here for NHL, was not even available in, in, in Canada in 2003. And the head of the cancer agency said, well, you can go to the, you know, go to Seattle and go to the Fred Hutchinson Clinic. You know, this America is where all of this work is done. And it's not done in England. It's not done in France. We need to keep the pipeline open for the latest um, therapeutic, so that you know that we can all uh, live longer and healthier lives, and 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 you know take pills for things like cancer rather than having to go through horrible things like um, having to have ex um, you know radiation therapy or chemotherapy, which are very devastating and debilitating. Yeah, well, there's a reason why uh, there's people all over the world that try to come to the United States for our health care because even with our issues, which I believe they're getting worse under Obamacare and the government centralizing a lot of that power in the healthcare industry. We're still one of the best ones in the world, which is why people love to come here. But it really bothers me that Bernie Sanders would be the head of a committee on health here in the country. So during these Q&As with Bernie Sanders at the helm against some of these industries, what was his mindset and was he pushing to try and cap these or trying to limit some of these? What was his take on this? Well, as you know, Bernie Sanders, who absolutely detests me and my work, he said it on NPR in different places. I mean, Bernie Sanders, I call him the the Pied Piper of single-payer health care. Bernie Sanders' goal in life is to get single-payer health care. The government would be the only provider of health care in this country, as is the case in Canada, where I'm from, or in the U.K., where they have a, a universal coverage with about... 88% of Brits on the National Health Service, and there are catastrophes in both of these systems. But Bernie Sanders, because he knows right now that he can't get single-payer through uh, through Congress because uh, Republicans have control of the House, he switched um, to focusing on universal coverage and on um, price controls on pharmaceuticals. That is his, his goal right now. But he, um, he you know, he... he, he he want, he, his idea is to rein in the greed of these pharmaceutical pandemic profiteers. It's just not the way it is. And we were so lucky in this country to have a Moderna and a, and a Pfizer to develop these drugs and the boosters, which allowed, uh, which prevented 3 million deaths in this country and it prevented 18 million hospitalizations. So, you know, Bernie Sanders, you know, would wipe, the pharmaceutical industry would be wiped out basically with new innovative products that we know uh, Thomas Phillipson at the University of Chicago, who is a terrific economist. I mean, he has shown in his research that there would be 342 fewer drugs from now till 2039, and, and R&D spending by the drug industry would be $633 billion down because of the ideas 
and the and the price controls and the caps that Bernie Sanders wants to bring on the American industry. Well, when they put these caps on these, the problem is, though, and, and you're very well with this, you can elaborate more so than I can, but when they put these quote-unquote caps on these prices, they're not really capping it. They're really subsidizing it from the federal government, isn't it? So they're not really losing any money here. They're not uh, really changing anything other than what's coming out of the pocket at the time for the consumer. But the government's so heavily involved on in these regulations that, like you said, it harms the pharmaceutical industries, it harms the medical industry as a whole, and it harms the consumer because we're paying for it just through taxpayer-subsidized money where the government's giving them the check and saying, all right, go ahead and put this out into the consumer market now. We're not really addressing the issues when it comes to prices or when it comes to the efficiency of the free market actually doing its job. Well, exactly. There's so much uh, regulation, um, you know, from government, whether you're looking at Obamacare and the subsidies, the mandates, the essential health benefits that an insurer has to provide, all of these things add to the cost. But, you know, um, Moderna, um, you know, gave the uh, the uh, vaccine to the federal government at a very discounted price of $26. Now that, the, you know, the, you played a little bit, the pandemic, COVID is um, over, at least it's way, way down. So it's time to um, move forward. And they're saying that they're going to be pricing their drug at about $130 per dose um, after selling its discounted price during the pandemic to, to the federal government. But as Kaiser um, Health News, which is not a free market conservative organization, has pointed out that anyone who is on a government program, whether it's Medicare, Medicaid, um, the, the, um, uh, the VA, the Children's Health Insurance Plan, all of these people, and people, um, uh, um, these people are all going to be able to, people with private insurance too, are all going to be able to get their their uh, COVID vaccines for, for free. They're not going to be paying $130 uh, per dose. They're covered already. And the other thing is that, 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 um, that um, people um, that, you know, aren't, don't have coverage, uh, companies like Moderna and Pfizer, all of the AstraZeneca, they all have what we call um, patient protection plans, which help those people that can't afford the, the drugs to get their drugs at a very low price or even for free. So th- this the $130 per dose, it's just wrong for Bernie Sanders to say everybody out there is going to do this because, you know, um, 130 million American families have um, have uni- have employer-based coverage. And then you have, you know, 80 million people on Medicare, on the Medi- Medicaid, and you have about 60 million people on Medicare. So, you know, these drugs are still going to be free, free through their coverage. Yeah, it's going to cover a lot of us. Sally, we got to take a hard break here. Can you stick over one more segment with us? Yeah. Uh, fantastic. It's Sally Pipes with the Pacific Research Institute. When we come back, I want to continue more about this. The plan for the Bernie Sanders utopian healthcare system. What would that look like? We'll do that when we come back here right around the corner of The Voice of Reason. This is The Voice of Reason with Andy Hoosier. Fighting for freedom every day. The Voice of Reason. With Andy Hoosier. Darn right it is. Welcome back into it. Freedom, common sense, rationale, reason. Things that are difficult to find in society today. That's what we try to discuss here on the program as we talk about the healthcare industry, the pharmaceutical industry, the healthcare vision of some elected officials, which is kind of a dangerous situation to be in. Let's be honest. We're hanging out with Sally Pipes, the Pacific Research Institute, which you can find online at pacificresearch.org. Highly recommend you go and check out some of the 
articles and pieces from Sally on the website. Sally, if Bernie Sanders had his perfect dream utopian world of crafting the healthcare system however he would like, what do you think that would look like? I know he tries to use the examples of the United Kingdom, like you mentioned, some of the uh, Scandinavian countries for the socialist economy, which aren't really socialist economies. But uh, if he could craft it from a Canadian style, a UK style, what would it actually look like? Well, Bernie Sanders is a proponent and has been for many, many years for a complete government takeover of the healthcare system. So there would be only one provider of healthcare, and that would be the federal government. And as we know, um, this would be very, very expensive, but it's not just expensive in terms of dollars and the, the $34 billion in tax increases that would have to come every year in order to fund it. The problem is long waiting lists for care, ration care, the best and brightest young people not going into medicine, and doctor shortages. So in Canada, where I'm from, where um, all private health care, um, for anything considered medically necessary, is um, is is banned under under the Canada Health Act. This is the plan that Bernie Sanders wants for this country. There are only three countries in the world that have true single payer, Cuba, North Korea, and Canada. So, I mean, isn't that frightening? And the, yeah. you know, the, the average wait in Canada last year from seeing a primary care doctor to getting treatment by a specialist, 27.4 weeks. That's over half a year. So is it any wonder that over 200,000 Canadians come every year and cross the border into the United States to pay for you know, MRIs, CT scans, things where they think that their health is is at risk. So in Canada, um, Ontario Premier Doug Ford has just announced that he's going to be allowing the opening up of private clinics in the province of Ontario, the province with the most uh, people, even though it's illegal, because he said it's not fair that people could not get health care. They have to be on this waiting list for such a long time. So this is important. This is what Bernie Sanders wants for this country. In the U.K., um, you know, and also that doctors are, they work for their provincial government, and so they're paid by the government. They get paid what, what the government decides they want, that they're going to pay them. And you may be, you may be the very best ophthalmologist in, in, in the U.S., and I may be the worst, but we get paid the same, and then we will have a global budget of how much we can spend and be paid during the year. If you look in the, in the U.K. right now, the junior docs under the National Health Service, 61,000 uh, junior docs have gone on strike for four days, which means the cancellation of 350,000 appointments and operations over four days. And um, the, the um, it, it, it's just adding to the 7.2 million Brits who are already on a waiting list for care. And so now you're seeing, because Britain does allow private coverage, over over 12% of Brits are now buying private coverage. Even the famous Cleveland Clinic has now opened a huge operation in hospital in London because there's so much demand for people that are so tired of being on a waiting list and not being able to find um, a doctor to treat them. Yeah, it must be going really well for them, the fact that their single payer is failing miserably, but yet somehow we have individuals like Bernie Sanders promoting that uh, here on the home front. Last question for you is we got just about a minute or so left, but uh, the latest the survey that I had seen from doctors, from older doctors who have been in the system for a while compared to younger doctors coming in, there's a big difference on their idea of the future of it, where the older doctors don't want the single payer, don't want more government inclusion, but the younger doctors do. 
and they like the single-payer mindset for whatever reason. Why do you think that is, or is that even accurate? Uh, as you said, with people going into the industry is declining, but the ones that are, they're kind of liking that system. Is it just because it's easy for them to kind of run through the mill and just pop a pill and here you go, see you next time and not really do any testing? Or uh, what are they being taught in medical school to actually want them to support that type of mindset? Well, the, the professors in the medical schools, of course, are, tend to be, you know, government people. Um, they want to, they, they like the idea of government providing health care. So our young medical students are being inundated with this kind of um, mindset, and it's very disturbing. Young docs don't want to work overtime. They want they want to set, set salary. They don't want to have, they have to pay loans. So it sounds like a great idea, but it'll be terrible for them and their practice of medicine as time goes on. The bureaucrats and the administrators, man, corrupt in the next generation. Oh, we see that all throughout the education system, and it's sad it's even affecting right. the healthcare industry. It's Sally Pipes, Pacific Research Institute, PacificResearch.org. Sally, appreciate the time very much, my friend. Let's get you back on and talk some more about this here soon. So, thank you. Love to. Hey, Bye. Absolutely. Appreciate that very much. All right. Podcast up in a little bit. We're back at it again tomorrow for our Friday episode. We have a lot more to get to there. Two more guests. We're going to rock through it tomorrow. Until then, be your own voice of reason. It's time for you to speak up, speak out, speak loud, speak proud, speak the truth, and always speak some reason. This is The Voice of Reason. I'm Andy Hoosier. We'll see you on the radio.